Hey, what's up? My name is Brendan Bigley, and you're listening to The Internet Today, the show where I find all the best stuff on the internet so you don't have to do it, because, uh, boy, is it a slog, huh? Yesterday, in my intro to the show, I mentioned that I had a tan that I didn't understand, which is uh, an unintentional rhyme, but I got a call-in that took that unintentional rhyme to its inevitable conclusion. So shout out to Tim Time, who sent me this. He's got a weird, weird tan that he doesn't understand. He's got a weird, weird tan. He just doesn't understand his tan. He is the man, Brandon's the man, but doesn't understand his tan. So there's a company that's been around for a while. They're called RED. All caps. R-E-D. They are, I would call them, uh, premium film camera manufacturers. We'll put it that way. They make a lot of the digital film cameras that are used to make really big-ass, high-budget, triple-A films. When people started moving away from analog film, a lot of them started moving towards the RED series of cameras. I remember uh, in 2010 when I was looking at colleges, sorry, I guess I was 2009-ish, but anyway... When I was looking at colleges, I was looking to go to film school. The first thing that every single film school would say when uh, when someone came to check out the film program was, we have this many red cameras. As if there was like a contest to see which film school could have more red cameras on campus. I'm driving the point home that red makes cameras because today red decided to not make a camera. They decided to make a smartphone. A smartphone that costs $1,195 if you buy the aluminum version, and $1,540 if you buy the titanium version. It's called the Red Hydrogen. So why would it cost this much? Great question. Let me answer it for you. The display is, quote-unquote, a hologram. Holographic in some way. There's a lot of, uh... Star Trek-esque techno babble going on in the spec sheet for this phone. There's really no way to tell what their holographic display actually looks like or means because there are no pictures of it. But that didn't stop them from putting a pre-order screen up, so you could buy the thing without knowing what a holographic display means if you really felt the, uh, felt the urge. It seems to be bucking the 2016 and 2017 trend of getting rid of the headphone jack because the thing does have a headphone jack, which is actually pretty great. But again, you have super nondescript technobabble talking about how they're using some kind of algorithm to convert normal stereo sound into truly immersive surround sound. Um, I don't really know what that means, to be totally honest. I guess we'll see what that looks and sounds like. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just a very confusing phone coming from a very confusing place that costs a very confusing amount of money. But hey, go pre-order one. You can actually, uh, in, in on the pre-order screen, it's really great. You can, uh, there's a little drop-down, and you can pre-order 15 of them if you wanted to, right now. So why don't you go do that? Pre-order 15, maybe send me one if you're pre-ordering 15. Keep 14 for yourself. You know, maybe uh, give one to, I don't know, your kid or something, uh, and give another one to me, and then you still got 13 for yourself. The Red Hydrogen, coming soon-ish. I think October. I feel like the two things that I've talked about the most on this station and on this podcast that have gotten the biggest responses have been uh, stories about millennials ruining things. And uh, maybe if you're new to this show, I should just kind of go over my thought process on that. Millennials don't ruin things. That's dumb. It's crazy to think that, like, everyone under a certain age is getting a text message every Monday morning at 6.33 a.m. that says, hey, this week... Uh, don't buy paper towels anymore. We're gonna kill paper towels this week. That doesn't make any sense. 
Anyway, that's one of the things. Millennials killing things. The other thing, uh, don't know why it continually comes up, but is, uh, I'll just say it. It's just poop. Poop-related stories. Millennials and poop. Those are the two things people seem to care about. Uh, so, imagine my surprise when I saw this article on vice.com today called Millennials are making pooping cool again. So not only is this the opposite, millennials are actually bolstering something, bolstering an industry, if you could call this an industry, but I specifically like the headline saying, making it cool again, uh, as if there was this bygone era when, when pooping was cool for some way, shape, or form. So why don't I actually talk about what's in this article? Uh, it's pretty straightforward, honestly. The toilet as we know it has basically looked the same and has acted the same for a really long time, an unbelievably long time. What a bunch of young scientists are starting to explore, which, uh, God bless them, is this idea that maybe there's a better way to build a toilet, you know? And by God, I think that they found it. So, uh, essentially, uh, without getting into the nitty-gritty details, there's kind of a land rush to develop a new kind of toilet that, uh, is more ergonomic, shall we say, aligns uh, the organs in your body in such a way that it makes the act slightly simpler, a little less painless. Well, maybe not painless. Painless isn't the right word. If you're having pains, you should go see a doctor. See, there was this whole movement towards getting a stool. Man, the, the puns in this segment are off the charts. The accidental puns, I should say. But getting a stool and bringing that into the bathroom and using that to, uh, rest your legs on. Not even rest your legs on, but kind of angle your legs on to, uh, contort your body into a certain position. But that's bringing furniture into your bathroom, which isn't exactly the best move. So, of course, uh, they're now building toilets that have that kind of foot holster. Think, uh, think of it like you're leaning back on a motorcycle, uh, and, and building that into the toilet itself. Point being, there are a lot of people working really hard to make toilets better. And, uh, I'm proud of anyone who can chase their bliss on that level. So easily one of the coolest things I read on the internet today was this interview with the chairman of LightSource, which is the biggest solar energy company in all of Europe. And the idea of the article was essentially, how long will it take and what is going to be the main tipping point for the eradication of fossil fuels and the probably inevitable rise of clean energy? So this guy, who obviously has a financial obligation to make that time frame as short as possible, uh, said he thinks within three years there's going to be a major upheaval. And his reasoning is pretty sound. What he's saying is, hey, one of the biggest hurdles right now is the cost, right? The cost of installing solar panels, the cost of storing all of this energy. It, it's too high for the average consumers, too high for the businesses. It's it's just too high in general right now. At the moment, to me, it feels like saying that your company runs on clean energy is almost like a publicity stunt, right? I, I almost feel like you have like an ulterior motive. You're just saying that you're going green for the PR benefits, not actually for the earth benefits. So this chairman from LightSource, his take on it is people will continue thinking that way until it becomes really no-brainer until it really gets cheap enough to store and create clean energy that the idea of using anything else would not really make any sense. So where does this three years come from? Well, the biggest hurdle right now would be the batteries that we're using to store this clean energy in. They're incredibly expensive to make and to buy. And the thing about making better batteries is that people have always assumed that it would be too difficult because it's a chemical process. The idea of making a better battery relies on the chemical makeup of the battery itself, which is why improvements that happen are so few and far between. His thought is, why don't we focus all of our energy, instead of trying to win this losing battle of, of coming up with 
a new combination of the very finite combination of chemicals that could be in a battery. Why don't we focus on the actual hardware of the battery itself? Why don't we make them out of cheaper and better materials? And he says by focusing on that, by focusing on making more batteries that are cost-effective and just as safe as the ones we have now, if not safer, the natural exponential pace of progress could, within three years, produce a battery that is cheap enough and reliable enough to make the creation, storage, selling, buying of clean energy a no-brainer for everyone. It's very cool. There's obviously the other question about governments that would like to bolster the oil and fossil fuel companies and put a stop to this uh, shift towards clean energy, but honestly, if it becomes the cheapest option for the consumer, there's really not much that can stand in the way of that kind of progress, you know what I mean? Three years seems very optimistic, but uh, within my lifetime, that sounds good to me. It's very cool stuff. Hey, that's it for me today. I will be back tomorrow. If you listen to this in Anchor, hit the applause button, hit the favorite button, hit the call in button and tell me uh, what you're thinking about. Or maybe sing me a song like Tim did at the beginning of the show, because that was very cool. If you listen to this as a podcast, please give me a review. That'd be very nice of you and tell all your friends about it. And uh, also maybe consider checking out Anchor, because it's a pretty good application for smartphones, like your red hydrogen holographic display. Uh, Also, if you're listening in Anchor, stick around, because I'm going to be playing some music and uh, doing some extra stuff. Nice. All right, I love you. Have a good day and or night or life. Or life. Or life.